Now, Jeremiah chapter 4. Guys, have you ever wondered, have you ever asked yourself why you come to church? Especially on a day like today, when you would be a, you'd be a whole lot more comfortable around a fire in your pajamas. Guys, here's why we come to church. We come to hear from God. And so what we do is we take a book that we think he wrote, or at least inspired, um, and we read a portion of it. And then we pay some bozo to stand up in the front and explain it because it was written a couple thousand years ago and some of it, some of the language is hard for us to understand. And so we're, we're trying to get a better grasp of exactly what's said. And so in response to understanding something that God said, we worship him. That's why we're here. We're here to take a portion of his word, find something in it that we understand and can wrap our minds around, and then that thing prompts worship and we hope to grow into the likeness of Christ as a result. That's why we've come. We've come to hear something from God. And here is something I guarantee you is from God. It's um, Jeremiah chapter 4 at verse 5. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say... Blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not. For I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from, its, from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. For this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail, both king and officials. The priest shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Then I said, ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind from the bare heights in the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too full for this comes for, for me. Now it is I who speak in judgment upon them. Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil, that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim, Warn the nations that he is coming. Announce to Jerusalem. Besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah like keepers of a field. Are they against her all around? Because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. And it is bitter. It is reached your very heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God. This word endures forever. Let me start this morning with a, with a bit of a review. Um, chapter 1. Chapter 1 is, uh, records the calling of Jeremiah into the prophetic ministry. Chapter 2 is uh, the trial, you may recall. God um, files a divorce lawsuit against his unfaithful bride. The faithful husband got dumped after the honeymoon, and the new bride chases after her new lovers. Chapter 3. In chapter 3, the, um, the Lord issues an invitation to come home, to return. It's a call to repentance, as we saw last week. But that invitation, that appeal, is in the main refused. Israel thumbs her nose at Yahweh's invitation to return. Which brings us to chapter 4. At that point, that is, at the point of this invitation being refused by Israel, in light of that refusal, that rejection, the book of Jeremiah turns a corner. And you see it starting in verse 5 of chapter 4. Look at this language. Declare in Judah, proclaim in Jerusalem, blow the trumpet, cry aloud, assemble, raise a standard, flee for safety, stay not. Ladies and gentlemen, that language is nothing short of frantic. You can almost see in your mind's eye people running around in panic. So why all the commotion? Verse 6. For I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. There is an enemy army likened unto a lion in verse 7. An enemy army will arrive from the north, and that army, like a lion, has left its den and it's on the prowl. And when it arrives, look at verse 7. Your land will be made waste. Your cities will be ruined without inhabitants. For this, put on sackcloth, lament, and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. A complete collapse in leadership, as mentioned in verse 9. The, uh, the kings and the officials and the priests and the prophets, they don't know what to do. They have no idea what to do. And so people are left on their own to devise their own strategies. A couple of those strategies are mentioned later on in the, in the chapter. Verse 29. Some people say, let's run, let's flee, let's hide, let's get out of here. And the cities are emptied. Some go to the woods, some go to the mountains. But others have another strategy in verse 30. The women have another strategy. It's, it's said that they put on their best dress, their best red garment. And they uh, put on uh, makeup and eye makeup and eyeshadow and eyeliner and all of their, their jewelry. And they go out and try to seduce the enemy um, soldiers. We're told later in verse 17, 
that these soldiers have surrounded the city. They're all around. It's a nation surrounded by the lion. The lion, referring, of course, to Babylon, the lion from the north. And when she arrives, she will bring a defeat so terrible that it will seem as if God's acts of creation have been reversed. That's the language, ladies and gentlemen, of 23, verse 23 and 24. That, that is language that is taken from Genesis 1. It's the undoing of the creation. It's the uncreation of creation. So, why... Why is God doing this? Verse 17. Because she has rebelled against me. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. And it is bitter. So, that's the... um, the story is it unfolds in chapter 4. But the main part of the chapter, the part that we're going to take a look at this morning, is a, um, is a description on the part of Jeremiah given to him by God. A description of the right response to these threats, this announcement of impending doom. How will you respond to the threats of impending doom. Some are going to head to the woods. Some are going to head to the mountains. They're going to flee the cities. They're going to dress up and seduce. They're going to accommodate. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to join in. They're going to manipulate. Jeremiah, or God through Jeremiah, gives us the only right response. Jeremiah does not give us the time or the, uh, the date of the invasion or even the name of the enemy at this point. What he does do is tell us that there is another invitation, yet another invitation on the part of God to avoid this impending doom that he's threatened. And it's outlined for you. It's so brief that you can almost miss it. It's outlined for you in verse 14. Let me read it. This is the only right response. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? The the threat is issued in verse 6, described in the other verses. Responses are outlined for you in the text. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of this panic, in the midst of this... um, threat we are given the only right response and it's one where the change that is involved is that that is required is a deep one it has nothing to do with your externals it has nothing to do with cosmetic changes or changing the hands or the feet the thing that must be changed you'll notice in verse 14 is the heart 
and thoughts. It is not a call to just stop doing bad things or having bad thoughts as if all that is needed is some kind of outward religious work. I need to go get baptized. I, I, I need to start attending church. Ladies and gentlemen, Judaism, her long suit, was and is this emphasis upon external moral purity, ritualism. Ritualism, ladies and gentlemen, is the most popular religion in the world. You know, I sometimes say to people, I say, or I ask, um, when did you become a Christian? And they say, uh, in response, they say, well, I got baptized as if those two things were synonyms. As if the sacrament accomplishes the thing that it symbolizes. Folks, that's called sacerdotalism. You ever heard that word, sacerdotalism? Sacerdotalism is the thought that, that salvation comes through the sacraments. Mere externals that, that people seek to palm off on God instead of some inward change. That's the wrong response. There's only one right one. That one. Wash your heart from the evil. You know, that's what the New Testament teaches, guys. You know that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, because you see, it is out of the heart from within, out of the heart of man that comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and, and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they are what defiles you. The heart, ladies and gentlemen, the heart is the culprit. And in the midst of this threatened doom, he reminds us that the only right response in avoiding that doom is something that has to do with our hearts. Not the outside. The inside. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is a religion of the inside, from the inside out, not the outside in. Um, cleanliness is not next to godliness unless the cleanliness is the cleanliness of the heart. Go further with me in the, in, the, in the verse, verse 14. You notice he includes the question, how long? You know, there's several of those how long questions in the scriptures. You'll find a couple of three of them in the book of Revelation. And every time I see that question, how long, it, 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 it stops me. Because the, the suggestion is, or the implication is, when you ask how long, there's, it, there's got to be some kind of delay and the delay is spawned because of some kind of reluctance. How long will you not do this? Well, not just yet. No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, allow me to linger, you know, just for one more round of sin. 
Oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. A tomorrow which, which often never comes. Delay. Always on the verge. It's my default mode. You know, there's a, there's a scene in the ministry of Christ where Jesus calls this man to follow him, and the man says, you know, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, go- and in following you, but let me go bury my father. And you would think that that was a legitimate reason. And Jesus' reply is, you let the dead bury the dead. You come now. Delay. It's all so deceptive. It's all so risky. It's all so presumptuous as if I were in charge of the length of my life. I am not. You know the, the parable of the prodigal son. And at some point when he's over in the faraway country, the, te- the, the parable says he comes to himself. And when he comes to himself, he doesn't take another bite of pig slop. He doesn't say, well, let me, let me just hang around just for one more round of pig slop. No, once he comes to himself, there's an urgency. I've got to get back to my father's house. How long are you going to stay in that faraway country? As for him, not another moment. And then I want you to see in verse 14, in its description of the right response, he mentions thoughts. You know, I started to preach this whole sermon on one word, thoughts. How long shall your wicked thoughts? Do you notice the close connection between heart and thoughts? That's throughout the scriptures, folks. Like in Genesis chapter 6, every intent of the thoughts of their heart were only evil continuing. The thoughts of their hearts. Um, And you notice the text uses the word, the thoughts that lodge. Where do they lodge? They lodge in the heart. Guys, there's a statement that is made in Proverbs chapter 23. It's one I think that's familiar to you, uh, uh, particularly if you know anything about the King James. The King James translates this uh, Proverbs 23, 12, I think. King James says this, as a man thinketh, as a man thinketh in his heart, So is he. My thought life is the definer of who I am. My thought life is is behind all of my moral choices. It's there is this intimate connection between the thoughts and the heart as if they are almost synonyms? Guys, the only right response is something... It requires a change of the way that I think. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that I am to take every thought 
captive. Conversion includes a triumph over the mind. You know, when I was a a student at the University of Tennessee, back when people still drew pictures on the side of caves, um, I was in the school of business. I was a business major, and my, my major in the school of business was personnel management. I don't even know what that is, but it had very little accounting in it, and that's why I wanted it. Um, but I was going to major. Oh, I do. I mean, that's my major is in personal management. And in a course of study of personal management, they, they taught us some principles about warehouse management, managing a warehouse. And there are a couple of uh, little, um, uh, I guess they're called principles. They're called LIFO and FIFO. I mean, have you ever heard that? Maybe they don't even use that anymore. A LIFO stands for last in, first out. FIFO stands for first in, first out. So, you know, if you put all this stuff in the, in the warehouse, uh, you get it out of there by LIFO or FIFO. But ladies and gentlemen, any third grader could figure out whatever comes out of that warehouse is stuff that I first put into that warehouse. Whether I manage it by LIFO or FIFO, it just comes out because I put it in there. Can I pause just for a minute to make an application? Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the damage that I do? If I choose to expose myself to porn, what does that do to this this idea that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What kind of man does that say that I am if I choose to put into that warehouse of my mind things so vile? What does it mean that I am? As a man thinketh, so is he. Then tell me, what am I? Oh, my brother and, and, and my sister. You must choose well what you watch. You must choose well what you read. You must choose well what you listen to. There's another famous story out of the New Testament. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. A guy comes to Jesus and he was rich and he was young and he was a ruler. That's why they call it the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, "Uh, Jesus, uh, could you tell me what it is that I could do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says, well, um, you, don't murder anybody and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't bear false witness, don't lie. And the rich young ruler says, well, okay then, <laughs> I'm clean. <clears throat> and then Jesus asks one more question. And it takes him inside. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the only right response to the threat of impending doom is something that must take place on the inside. Can you imagine never having sinned in your thought life? Why, heck no, Dr. Young. Well, I me either. But what does that say about us? What does it tell us about ourselves? It tells us that our heart is dirty. And I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, It will not be cleaned on the day that you got baptized. It will not be made clean on the day that you join the church. Because, folks, the thing that is required to avoid the impending doom is something that only God can accomplish. God offers a cleansing from sin how long? How much longer are you going to wait? You know the issue is not the delay, the issue is the reluctance. There is an impending doom. And you want one more round of sin? God offers a remedy. And it's through bloodshed. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Wash the evil of your heart. That's the right response. But how? How do I do that? Well, here's how. And I'm going to sing it to you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the only right response to the threats of impending doom. Our Father, would you make that uh, very clear, very graspable? Would you do a work that only you can do, and that is to open blind eyes and deaf ears? And where, O oh God, I have misspoken, would you stop up the ears of the listeners? But where, O oh God, there is that there is right response or right treatment of your word, right handling of its truth, would you by the Holy Spirit take it and drive it so deep into the heart that there will be no more delay, that men and women might see the urgency, the need, and race to their father's house, just like the prodigals that we are. Thank you for making a, a way for people like us to have forgiveness of sin. Would you convince many of that need this minute? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.